comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. Recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and Abe is not with us this evening. We're going to... Normally, Out Now is a film podcast, which has Abe and I discussing new movies weekly. However, every now and then we like to do kind of random bonus episodes, such as this one, which we'll be talking about the film Holy Motors, uh, playing in limited release, um, likely to be nominated for maybe foreign film, who knows. But it's quite the movie, and I figured why not do a bonus episode about it, because I have a few friends of mine who are friends of the show that also saw it and have some things to say about it. So, joining me to discuss Holy Motors, we have writer for Fast Film Reviews, a mocap performer, a secret agent, Mark Hoban. Hey, everyone. Writer for Things I Know About the Movies, also an accordion player and a dirty vagrant, Adam Gentry. Hey, guys. And from the Racked Focus, our limo driver for the evening, Maxwell Haddad. Hello there. All right, are we all are we all ready to to delve into the world that is Holy Motors? I was born yes. ready. Okay, so let's a little bit a little bit of a trailer for the movie play. Qu'est-ce qui vous pousse à continuer, Oscar? Pour la beauté du geste. La beauté. On dit qu'elle est dans l'œil, dans l'œil de celui qui regarde. Alors si personne ne regarde plus. Okay, so that should have been some of the trailer for Holy Motors. This movie is so difficult to describe that I've decided to just cut and paste from the IMDb page and see what that goes gets me. So here we go. Uh, from dusk to from dawn to dusk, a few hours in the life of Mansour Oscar, Mansour Oscar, a shadowy character who journeys from one life to the next. He is in turn captain of industry, an assassin, a beggar, a monster, and a family man. Dot dot dot. It's kind of a weird movie to try and even describe, but basically you have one character performing a multitude of different parts as he's kind of wheeled around town in a limo, changing identity to identity to identity, and that's kind of the movie as a whole. I'm going to say right now, we are going to, the four of us are going to kind of talk about this movie at length and explicitly. We're not really going to, we're going to be very spoiler heavy in this one, so if you have a desire to see Holy Motors... And, and you want to listen to the Out Now with Aaron and Abe episode about Holy Motors, I guess see the movie first before you listen to the rest of this podcast. So, with that out of the way, I'm going to go, I'm going to shoot to Adam first. Adam, what did you think of Holy Motors? I love this movie. I thought it was one of the most delightful experiences I had in a movie theater all, all of last year. Um, Dennis, um, I'm not, I forgive my pronunciation because I may not get these names right, but uh, Dennis Levant is fantastic. You know, his character has to transform himself 
every couple of minutes, at least as far as screen time goes. And he's fantastic. I mean, he is... There are so many great sequences, but one of my favorites is this bit where he's a hobo, and he's the strangest hobo I've ever seen. And it's... He, you know, has... And it's great because you the performance almost in some ways... It's... Okay, I'm having a hard time describing it. It's masterful. Because literally he is... You know, he's fantastic in every single... Um, Every single bit that, that that he that he has to to put on, and it's great because it's also a look at the nature of performance, uh, because there's just enough of a narrative thread to kind of hold you to hold you as as far as you know expecting it to make sense. But you get the sense that this guy is never off stage, and I I could ramble and ramble incoherently, but I know we'll get into more later. I just I love this movie. Mark Hoban. All right. Well. I mean, like you described, uh, Aaron, in the beginning, it's sort of an accumulation of like little sketches that are kind of strung together, and they tell the story of this mature Oscar who travels from different meetings. Um, and so these mini-movies, they're kind of like different genres, a melodrama, a gangster flick, a musical. Um, but I just didn't – I didn't really find these little mini-movies particularly interesting. I, I was – fascinated by what would happen next. So I was constantly on the edge of my seat, like, okay, what is going to happen in this little vignette? And we're sort of interested and drawn into the story at first, but then I found that each story would just kind of go nowhere. And it sort of had, like, the promise of something and then would kind of have this non-ending that really was sort of, like, disappointing and, you know, a lot has been talked about that this is sort of a, like, a, a an homage to the, the filmmaking and, 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 you know, an actor's life and all that. But if, if that's the case, then it just feels like maybe they're not enjoying making movies because it, it is a very sort of sad, sort of depressing tale. And this character that, uh, he plays throughout the film is kind of a, he's not the, I don't know, he's, I, he, I didn't find him very likable. And and he may not maybe he doesn't need to be likable, but I I wasn't really uh, ca- captivated by him. So all in all, I, I was kind of left sort of not not I wasn't charmed by the film. Maxwell. Um, okay, I I very much uh, liked the film. Um, and what one of the things I always appreciate a work of art that doesn't have answers. I think people. Uh, tend to spend too much time expecting um, the films they view or the books they read or the TV shows they watch to give to, to spoon feed it all to them and give them the answers. And part of what I really like about Holy Motors is that so much of it is is open to interpretation. Because if I'm going to be completely honest, the movie is nonsense. I mean, it is a series of vignettes, but not much of it makes any sort of rational or logical sense. Um, I say none of these things to impugn the film, though. I thought that it was sort of really magical and had this sort of like hypnotic, almost fever dream quality to it that really took me on this almost out-of-body um, experience where I really connected with what was going on, even if I didn't um, connect the dots or understand it. Um, I went to to film school, you know, where you're faced with a lot of false pretension, and I had to take a class in experimental film, and 
a lot of the various vignettes in Holy Motors kind of reminded me of the work that my you know fellow students back in the day would produce for this class, but executed um, at a you know much more you know masterful level. But what also struck me is that I don't know how familiar you guys are with um, the, the you know the life of the director, and you know I think it can sometimes be crude or um, unnecessary to to delve into the personal life of the artist. But um, in this case, you know the director Leo Carax's girlfriend or wife I'm not sure which um, I believe killed herself last year right before he made the film. And I can really feel that pain and that sort of lingering sap running throughout the film. And I can't help but feel that that informed a lot of um, the decisions and the mood that it strikes. I kind of, I, I, I kind of fall in line with, with Mark on this one in terms of just how I kind of accepted the movie. Because I certainly, I feel like there, there's a lot to admire here, but... For my, for I guess for myself, it's just not really, it's not the, it's not a, it's not the kind of movie for me, and because like I came into it, I was very intrigued by it, just knowing kind of what I knew and knowing the kind of regard it was getting, and even going like the first few like kind of vignettes in it, I was like, all right, I'm kind of with what you're throwing down here, and I so I I, I was happy to stick with it throughout, but at the end of the the whole kind of this whole kind of experiment, this whole kind of film, I was. I, I was just kind of left with, well, I see what you did there. It's not necessarily something that I loved, but I did. I do see where the appreciation can be, and I do. I do really admire the lead performance here, given the kind of lengths that he's going to throughout this film and the different transformations that he's making. So, it's it's a weird one <laughs> for sure. And if I was to put it like in the most like blunt way possible, it almost feels like the kind of film that people that don't tend to like art house films would use as an example as to why they don't like art house films. But I don't think that's not, that's not me for sure. And that that's the, <laughs> the art house quality of it is not something that I, I'm necessarily saying is a bad thing or anything. It's just more of, it's not, it's not suitable for for my for my own taste in movies, if that makes any sense. Because I, I'm trying to be like perfectly fair to it, because it's not a, it's certainly not a movie I hated, just not one that I'm the person that was going to appreciate this movie. Well, I think Maxwell really hit it on the head when he said that it's not about this particular one. And again, obviously, every everybody's taste is different, so that's not to say that somebody who doesn't like the film is, is wrong or whatnot. But I think he hit it on the head when he said that the movie's really not about finding answers so much as it's sort of you know, like I said, there's a sense of discovery in the film. You know, you go through the film, you, I don't know if it was like me, I, I was really curious to see what he, be, he would become next. Because I'd seen the trailer and I'd seen a bunch of different bits and pieces of the film. But I mean, there's the bit where he is doing the, the motion capture work. And, he, and that's hilarious and fascinating. And then he's the father taking the daughter home from that party. And I mean, he's got some really dramatic lines that he's got to read. It's for when he tells her, that her punishment for lying to him um, is that he's got to, she's, that her punishment is to be herself and to have to live with herself. I mean, and he, and it's, it's just fantastic. I think the way he goes from person to person, from character to character within the film, and he's completely believable with each and every one. And yet there's a little nods here and there, like in the, the deathbed scene when he, they have this wonderfully emotional bit 
And then he tells the, the girl, uh, they pretty much, excuse me, I've got another appointment to get to. And she's like, yeah, it was great to meet you. You were great. And then they kind of move on. But I, I really found the joy was sort of in discovering the performance, you know, as it evolved. I mean, a lot of times people were saying, like, it doesn't make any sense. But it actually, to me, it made perfect sense. He's an actor. He's going from, you know, appointment to appointment doing this different roles. And he's performing for an unseen audience. The cameras are invisible. They even say that in the film. So I didn't find it like I found like I did understand it. So I, I didn't yeah. I mean, or I, I'm sure you can try to interpret other things, but. That's kind of how I took it. So that's not the problem I had with it wasn't that it didn't make any sense. And I honestly, that doesn't bother me anyway, but that the stories weren't interesting. I mean, the, the most interesting one was the one where he was that like satyr and he uh, like a or a leprechaun or whatever you want to call him. And he uh, captures Ava Mendez at the cemetery and takes her back to his like lair in the catacombs. That's the most interesting story, and everything leading up to the part where he takes her down to the lair is kind of interesting. Where is this going? And that just has no point. That one just, I mean, it ends horribly. It's like, okay, this is just, you know, they're just trying to shock you, and then and it's over. And then it's on to the next story, and then I'm sort of interested, and then it was just a succession of, like, I'm interested, and then pulling the rug and saying, no, there's there's nothing here. It's just, we're just going to shock you and then move on. And in this one, we're, we're just going to, you know, I don't know. It just, it, I was disappointed. I mean, I was I was interested throughout the whole film, but by the end, I was thinking about it and felt like there just wasn't anything there. I mean, the ending is just, and it's bizarre. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's definitely, I mean, I guess I kind of actually sort of liked the ending because I was like, oh, okay, some humor. But I mean, it just, it just didn't. The ending's fantastic. Yeah. When they, with the, with the limousines with the having limousines. the conversation. Oh. Right. And what I love too is that the limousines, they have the exact same concerns that the people have, the passage of time, whether or not they'll still be considered useful. I mean, I thought I was incredibly sweet. I will say that I, I like the idea of describing him as a leprechaun in that one scenario with Ava Mendes. That's that's I, that's an, that's better than like weird vagrant guy that eats flowers and whatever else he can get his teeth onto. But right. um, here's here's a question I have: um, Did people were people la- like well, one I guess helpful was your guys' theaters when you saw the movie, and were people laughing during various parts of the movie? I mean, I first saw it at the New York Film Festival at Lincoln Center, so it was sold out. Mm-hmm. You know, audience of festival goers so i mean you could sort of like the energy was palpable and then i saw it again also at lincoln center and the director was there for a q a afterwards so it was another sort of bias scenario wherein people were there see that's so much better yeah particular interest in you know this type of film so i can't really speak to what it was like seeing it with a quote average audience not that maybe this film would ever be seen with an average audience, but yeah. Yeah, I saw the movie at, at AFI Fest at the Egyptian in LA, and it was kind of like your theater, Maxwell. I mean, it, it was pretty packed. And it actually started about 90 minutes late. They were having technical difficulties, and people stuck around, and you know, I thought it was incredibly worth it. I, I saw it in a very tiny theater. There were probably were five people in the whole theater watching it. So it was it was almost like I was watching it alone. I mean, there was 
like five or six people. The guy actually that sold me the ticket, he even said something like, are you ready to see this movie? <laughs> I was like, um, I don't know. I like the idea that like, he like, grabbed both your hands and like looked you straight in the eye and said that. Who was the guy who sold me the <laughs> ticket? Well, it's, it's kind of a small theater, and it's in Palo Alto, so it's like often rung by the uh, Stanford students. So they're really – I mean, he obviously loved it, so he was like – I. I, you know, he was talking to me about it before it started. Like, oh, it's it's so you know, it's totally bizarre, and you're gonna love it. So, I mean, he was into it, but the rest of the, I, the crowd was not. I, I couldn't. There was no discernible, um, you know, laughter or anything really throughout the film. Yes, yeah, I, I saw it in a in an art house theater because obviously the theater that was it was playing next to Wreck-It Ralph in was sold out. So I, I went to the art house theater, and um, the, uh, the there's like about eight people in there total by the time it was all said and done. And there were people kind of laughing at various parts of the, mo- of the film. And so I did kind of – I was curious because I wasn't I, – I wasn't necessarily surprised at laughter, but I was kind of like, oh, people are – I guess people are really into the mood of the film for – Certain scenes, especially like the mocap scene, was one of them. The yeah, the the, lepre- the leprechaun sequence got garnered some laughs and some other kind of various sequences throughout. So I was just curious what everyone else's kind of mood was like. The the leprechaun sequence is interesting because so the leprechaun <laughs> character is named Monsieur Merd, which is Mister right. and French, he also, yeah. also appeared in the um, movie Tokyo. I don't know if you guys saw that. It's not the same director, right? It, well, it's it's like um, uh, I I, the word escapes me, but it's three segments by three Trip, different triptych. Directors. Triptych, but uh, yeah, that that works fine. It's a triptych film. Uh, so Leo Carax did one, Michelle Gondry did one, and then um, Bong Joon Ho did one. Bong Joon, yeah, the dude who did the host, right? I like him. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, that's a really interesting film. So to see that character come back kind of took me by surprise. Um, Put that I, movie on my queue. What I love too is, is like, for one thing, the film is actually not afraid of the male erection, which is one thing that most cinema is terrified of. I believe the film is unrated it's, as well. It just it's fascinating because I mean it's much more prevalent to see female nudity, female for full frontal nudity, than it is to see any kind of male nudity. And so I, I thought that was neat that the film actually kind of went in a different direction. And I think what's really fascinating too is for being such a strange. You know, obviously, somewhat sexual creature. He makes Eva Mendes a burka. Yeah, yes, <laughs> that was awesome. Um, to kind of jump back a little bit to what um, Mark was saying in terms of, you know, quote, understanding the movie. I do agree that you know, it, taken literally, it is relatively straightforward. There's a you know a clear path from the beginning of the day to the end of the day. He's obviously an actor for hire playing these different roles. There's invisible cameras. But what I think is, is interesting is looking at um, the, you know, what happens in the individual segments sort of abstracted from the, the bigger picture. Um, and that's what I found really fascinating. Um, and the way, you know, they would pay homage or reverence to, um, you know, other things from classic cinema. Right, and I guess so. I guess obviously the disagree, the, the the line between you guys is Mark just didn't find those that interesting, correct? Right. Okay. Right, Mark. Yeah, okay. yeah. I just wasn't captivated by it. Yeah. Okay. And for me, I guess where I'm coming down on it is I I can't say I wasn't interested in it. I just coming away from it, I'm just saying it, it's 
it's not something that I guess I'd, I, I feel I need to revisit anytime. I feel I'm just like satisfied that I've seen this movie, but it's just, it doesn't fall in line with something that I like to see in general in terms of kind of other, I guess, films. Like for, for me, like this fell in line with movies like, uh, with, uh, with movies by like David Lynch. Like David Lynch is a person I certainly appreciate as a filmmaker and admire kind of the, how he's taken an unconventional approach to making his films, but they're not, they're just not movies I tend to, to, you know, enjoy very much. And, See, and, and I love David Lynch. And I'm wondering if, um, um, Adam, Adam yeah. does it as well. I adore Mulholland Drive. I yeah. do too, actually. I that is love my, that David is my Lynch, Lynch movie of choice. And I, I, I love Mulholland Drive. I love Lost Highway. I love Eraserhead. Is a movie that I think makes a lot of sense too. Much as I think this one, a lot of people say you know, it doesn't make sense. Where I think, if you look at it a certain way, I think it makes yeah, perfect sense. And yeah, I also, I'll more. name two other directors: uh, Luis Buñuel and Federico Fellini. Those two also have done films like this. I like things that they've done as well. I don't think that it, what uh, Leo Carax does in here has as much of a point. I didn't, I didn't, it didn't have the wit or the the. I don't know. It just didn't have the, those things that those other directors do have for me. Here's a question to to Adam and, and Maxwell. Then, do you think there's kind of a maybe a, a unifying theme or something that? something that you would say kind of puts this film together as a whole that you would walk away and describe it as or give meaning to? Um, yes. Um, ignoring everything about, you know, how it's a comment on cinema and all of that, the theme that I found um, that ran throughout the film was kind of, in some ways, actually similar to The Artist uh, last year, um, and that is sort of being an old hat um, in the face of new technology or new ideas, I would say that the the, the particular theme that I felt ran through the, the piece was the tragedy of performance. It's, it's the actor that is never truly off stage, and you get the sense that he he never is able to take a break or to be his own genuine self because he's constantly having to perform for other people, almost like a modern version of a gladiatorial combat. Almost, it's people are watching this for their amusement, and yet. He's having to give and to give and to give. What is he really getting out of it? All right. Now, okay, another question I have, um, I guess, in terms of what you guys think, in terms of what this person's doing throughout the day and given kind of the things he's supposed to go through, would you would you say that there is, like, a fantasy element that accompanies this movie, or would you take it up as a kind of a straight forward, well, not straightforward, but like oh, a drama? Simply- I mean, yeah. there are limousines that talk to each other. Uh, well, yeah, 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 I guess so. Right. But I mean, it's kind of the, I mean, basically, the, the, that limo is clearly, clearly has the bomb of Gilead inside. Because, it's a bag you know, of holding, yes. As a million times, and yet he's constantly, you know, being restored to, to full health after some pretty gruesome deaths, even. So, yeah, it's certainly got some fantastic moments, yeah. Yeah, remember it starts out, uh, God, it's been a while, but it starts out uh, with the director, I think, waking up and then seeing an audience and he goes through the wallpaper and I mean that was all kind and of interesting coming out of his fingers like the key and yeah I liked all that in fact that was very David Lynch to me and I I started you know thinking okay this is really kind of cool um and I did like uh there was sort of a fantasy element there too and then he the ends up at at the house 
house and they get in the limo and so I mean yeah there's some uh there I definitely is fantasy. What's uh yeah okay just and there's chimpanzees and, and I'm, re- I'm really just reassuring this to myself that I didn't just imagine certain things <laughs> but um I the in- go Maxwell what the interesting thing about the dir- the, the 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 guy in the beginning is that it is the the director Leos Carax hmm. um, playing that part which adds this whole other sort of metatextual element to it you know like he is opening you up to his you know twisted little experiment it's so to me how i'm how i'm kind of as i reflect on this film more especially now that we're having a good conversation about it i i do i do kind of admire the film more when i think about it in pieces as opposed to a whole because there are segments that i really do enjoy even the ones that are kind of nonsensical or just mean kind of nothing like the you know the the intermission involving just mr oscar and a bunch of men playing accordions oh, accordions yeah i i well, that was good i really love that counted, it's almost like uh that u2 song vertigo okay, when he yeah. counts in uh one two three fourteen in spanish mm-hmm. when he goes three twelve in french yeah that's fantastic <laughs> that accordion scene taken out of context is my single favorite scene from any movie this year <laughs> Nice. Okay. There's, I just, I find it to be like pure joy that that, you know, short little. Scene. I've I've watched that. There's a clip of it on YouTube that I've watched more times than I would be comfortable admitting to you all fine people tonight. Like I'll probably I'll put that in the show notes as well. And I'll probably watch it myself a couple times before I go to sleep tonight. But yeah, it is a, it is sort of a scene that I'm like, like at that point in the movie, you're you're halfway through the movie, so you're like, either you're with it or you're not, and I'm just kind of sitting there like. This is neat. I like, I like where this, this, this accordion is. And I would let you all know that when I was introduced, I was labeled as the accordion player by Aaron, some fact that I take no small amount of pleasure from. Nice. Thank you very much, good sir. Sure, sure thing. Uh, always <laughs> happy to write the, the intros here, so it's good, good, good to hear some feedback. Um, the, um, the other scene, um, the, uh, the mocap, the, the, the mocap performer sequence, that's another scene that I kind of like, I was like into in a sort of, it, it had almost like a, if, if Kubrick was still alive, it seemed, that almost seems like a scene that he could have, could have shot in a way. Just in sort of the straightforward way it's presented versus kind of the outlandish nature of what's going on. I mean, I just, I just know if he used a body double, because if he didn't use a body double, then Mr. Levant deserves a lot of credit, because that's a very athletic scene. I'd like to believe the myth that he did perform that scene and would be happy to, <laughs> would happy to accept, be, accept the I, fact that he's I, just that talented. <laughs> I laughed so much at that scene, and this is kind of an aside, but I was in, you know, down in Union Square, New York City, and these guys... These two guys walked by dressed in motion capture suits. <laughs> I had to do a double take. I was like, so is uh, have I gone uh, crazy? Have I seen so many movies that now I'm seeing things? But then they handed me a flyer for Holy Motors, and I was like, oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> and it's just so wonderfully exaggerated, too, with the with the sex between the characters, and it's, it's very interesting. And then you see the, the characters that they're playing, and it's so outlandish. Now, um, how about the uh, the Kylie the the sequence of only Kylie Minogue? Oh, it's kind of heartbreaking and beautiful. I was very impressed by her, and and the song is is a lovely song. And that's kind of the well, the well, musical segment of the. I remember seeing the trailer, and it, it said, you know, Dennis Levant. You're like, okay, great, and then it says Kylie Minogue, and you think to yourself, huh? And then it's like, you know, Ava Mendez, and it seems like a very odd pairing, but I mean. I thought I thought that's a really lovely segment too, just because you get the sense, even though I get this, it ends up being I a get performance, this you get the sense that there are there are these two people that have really loved each other 
outside of the context of their work for this agency, and they're reuniting and they have a child or, or whatever, and it's 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 lovely. It, it's almost a practical joke though on anybody who is like a Kylie Minogue fan and her pop singing and thinking, oh, I'm gonna go see this movie with her in it, and then finding this. I mean, it's not like expected for sure. What other sequence? Oh, there's the the spy sequence as well, which is has some of the darkest humor. I get. Well, actually, I don't know. Kylie Minogue jumping off buildings kind of <laughs> darkly funny. <laughs> that that's it, all right. <laughs> I halfway expected her to, on the way down, turn into her green fairy character from Moulin Rouge and just fly away. <laughs> I mean, at at that point, I was like, anything is possible in this movie. So, which is kind of exciting. To, to, you know, watch something and feel like there really are no rules. Oh, and yeah, exactly. Anything can happen. I found it kind of liberating. with American cinema, there's just such a, this, um, there's almost this fear of doing anything outside the box. And it's, like you said, it's nice to see a film in which anything could conceivably happen. And so you really have to pay attention and whatnot. And there's that, I'm told too that the, the scene with the gangsters, is based on a music video called Rabbit in Your Headlights, which unfortunately I have not seen, but I, I love that shot where he kills the guy who he's altered to look like himself and they lay there and it's just identical. It, it, it was, it was hilarious. I'm trying to think of anything else we want to bring. Is there anything else you want to bring up involving Holy Motors, any of you? I think, you know, the, the response to it has been really fascinating. Like, a lot of people have really lobbied behind the film and, like, named it their favorite of the year. Like, it's inspired passion that, you know, I, I don't often see amongst fellow um, film lovers and or, and or critics, um, which, you know, at the end of the day doesn't have much worth to it. But I think it's always interesting to see which films certain people decide to, you know, rally behind. Um, and what they make of it. And this one, because there is, you know, so many different elements to read their analyses and why they connect to it has been, you know, sort of an interesting compliment to the film itself, more so than a lot of other criticism I've read throughout the past year. Uh, i just like to say for the record that the license plate of the limo reads 202DVM95. Okay. But I have no idea what that means. <laughs> It's the end date for the world. You just have to kind of move the... the it's, it's actually a, a clue to Lost. <laughs> Arriving just in time. Have, have you guys seen Cosmopolis? I have not seen Cosmopolis yet. No. This is the like same thing, right? A guy in a limo. Right, which is you know something I think is interesting to kind of look at those two pieces next to each other wherein the construct is, you know, one you know, short period of time with a guy traveling in a limousine while strange things occur around them. Which of the two do you prefer, Maxwell? Holy Motors, no question. I, I didn't like Cosmopolis that much. Which one has more erections? I mean, it depends on if you're talking about in the movie or by, <laughs> uh, Robert Pattinson is certainly more attractive than Dennis Levant. Even as the leprechaun character? Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I I really liked him in the the motion capture suit. Got to see all of his his, his curves. 
And this is obviously signaling the end of our discussion about Holy Motors. So I'm going to wrap this one up with um, our rating. And out now, apparently, we always give a rating on based on when you should go and see this film. And even though Holy Motors is a limited release, I'm going to pull the same rating scale up. I'm going to say IMAX Theater, Dollar Theater, eight, uh, HBO, Netflix. I said that backwards. <laughs> or just kind of forget about it. So on that scale, uh, how did I start? Adam Gentry, where would you put Holy Motors on that scale? A very strong theater. Mark Hope? Uh Netflix. Maxwell? I mean, if you could find an IMAX theater playing it, by all means, go. And yeah, I'd, I'd, I guess I'd give it, I'd give it a Netflix as well, just because I'm like, I want people to kind of see it. <laughs> it's just not, it's just not that movie for me. Um, at least it wasn't in 3D until we get Holy Motors 2, still motoring, maybe. <laughs> um, oh, Aaron, you and the puns. It wasn't that putty. But, um, yeah, alright, cool. Um, I guess, yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of our thoughts on Holy Motors there, so that's gonna do it for this bonus episode about now, Aaron and Abe. Uh, you can find more of my work at our, at my personal site, thecodazeek.com, you can find all my written movie reviews as well as at wiseofblue.com for blue reviews. And you can follow me at twitter.com slash ps 3 Adam? You can find more of my stuff at my blog, things I know about the movies, located at everythingyouwalwayswantedtoknow.blogspot.com and at twitter.com slash ilthwinanarchist. Mark Hoban? Uh, you can find more of my work on my personal blog, fastfilmreviews.wordpress.com, and you can also follow me on Twitter at Mark underscore Hoban. Maxwell Haddad. Uh, and you can find all of my fine work at theractfocus.com or follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash maxlhad. Awesome. All right. Uh, you can find all the other episodes about now with Aaron and Abe, of course, on iTunes, also at hhwled.com. You can find most of the newest shows at uh, outnow.podomatic.com and some exclusives. Uh, feel, feel free to email us your thoughts on Holy Motors. I'd be curious to hear if any of our listeners had, you know, had seen Holy Motors and had some thoughts of their own on it. Outnowpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, Facebook.com slash outnowpodcast and Twitter.com slash outnow underscore podcast. You can follow and like those pages there and get all the other updates. Uh, next, uh, I'm not sure when this episode's actually gonna drop. It will be either before or after our Les Miserables and Top 10, uh, Top 10 Films of the Year episode. Probably before our Top 10 Films episode. So, you know, stay tuned for that one, I guess, because that should be a lot of fun. And, um, yeah, until next time, that's going to do it for our bonus episode review for Holy Motors. Thank you guys for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you for asking me at the last minute at 1 in the morning for, to join you. It was a pleasure. Uh, always, a pleasure. <laughs> always, always, keeping, uh, always keeping my guests on, on their toes. That's how we, that's how we roll on uh, <laughs> how we're today. But, yeah, until next time, so long and goodbye. Well, all right. On drums, Cedric Weinstein.
my baby ride man don't you let my baby ride man don't you let my baby ride man don't you let my baby ride Don't you let my baby ride, man. Don't you let my baby ride.